Good morning, church. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, we thank God for His grace and His loving kindness. Today, we are going to read three passages in the book of Colossians. And we are going to start by reading chapter 2, verse 15 to 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now we are going to read chapter 3, verse 23, to chapter 4, verse 7. And if you are following in the uh, Bible in the pew, it is um, page 972. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for Christ Jesus you are all son, sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized in Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now we're going to read chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. But far be it from me to, be, to boast except 
in the, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This is the word of God. Keep your Bible open to Galatians and be ready to kind of flip back and forth through those pages, if you will. We started a new series last week called Christi Exploring Christianity. Exploring Christianity. So maybe, maybe uh, you're still exploring Christianity. Maybe you're watching at home and um, somebody's invited you to watch their church. Or maybe you're here this morning and uh, you would say, I'm not, a, I'm not a Christian yet. I'm kind of interested in it. I would like to know more. I'd like to kind of understand it a little bit. More So that's what this series is about. And for, if you say, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't need to listen. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you should still listen because we're going to tackle some of the big questions of life that, that maybe you've been thinking about yourself or maybe you've never thought about and it's time to think about them. And the question that we're going to um, think through this morning or the topic that we're going to think through this morning is the, the idea of identity. So Christianity and identity is what we'll be tackling this morning. So let me, we'll start with the, the ultimate question. Who are you? Can you answer that question? Who are you? A couple years ago, Oprah Winfrey said, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. We have entered into a culture where be yourself, know yourself, know who you are, is the defining advice for career, for life, for love, for everything. Number one piece of advice, be yourself. Be yourself. Moral philosopher Charles Taylor called this the ethics of authenticity. What he means by that is, he says, the, the highest good in our culture is to be authentic, is to be real and to be true to who you are. That is the greatest good. You define you. You decide how special you are and in what ways you are special. But here's my question this morning. <clears throat> isn't there part of us, not, not, even, not even getting into the Word of God yet, but isn't there part of us that deep inside we know that that's just not how it works? We know that we are who we are today because of a myriad of outside influences on our life. We did not decide who we are on our own. And so this morning we want to deconstruct this idea of the true self, the true self. So number one, lesson number one, we need to deconstruct our true self. When we start talking about identity, then what are we talking about? Identity is a big word these days. Everything's about identity, isn't it? Like I said, who are you? Authentic. Be real. Be yourself. Speak your truth. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. What does that mean? What is my identity? What, what, my identity is my sense of self. 
Again, it's me being able to define who I am. Where does that come from? In Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Ouch! He just made two identity statements, didn't he? I'm a Jew, I'm not a Gentile sinner. Yikes. What do you use? How would you write that verse? I, I myself am a blank by birth and not a blank. I'm an American, not a name another country. I'm Italian, not German. I'm an engineer, not a physicist. I'm a PhD, not a GED. How would you write that verse? What will your obituary say about you? What will be on your headstone? Here lies Brady, loving father, loving husband, dedicated minister. You get, you get one line, maybe two, to define yourself. Where do you gain your sense of self? From your family? I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I'm a brother. I'm a sister. I'm an uncle. I'm an aunt. From your culture? I'm a preppy. I'm a yuppie. I'm a hippie. I'm hip-hop. <laughs> From your generation? I'm a boomer. I'm a Gen X. I'm a Gen Z. I'm a millennial. From your career? From your race? your ethnicity, your culture, your politics, your education. If you're more spiritual, maybe you identify yourself by your spiritual gifts. I'm a teacher. I'm merciful. I'm a leader. And probably a lot of us identify ourselves from our sins, our mistakes, our failures. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I have an anger problem. Galatians is going to seek to take all of these identities and deconstruct them and show us that, as verse, chapter 3, verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our, cult our, cultural, our culture tells us to become who we are. Moana, Luke Skywalker, Rocky. I got to do what I got to do. Yo, Adrian. And yes, Christianity says the same exact thing. Christianity tells us to be who we are. But there's a big difference between our culture and, and Christianity. Our culture says, be who you are, but you decide who you are. Christianity says, be who you are, but God decides who you are. Why do we need to find ourselves? Because nobody wants to be a nobody, do they? 
Nobody wants to just fade into oblivion. And so we need an identity, and that's true. The Bible teaches us that. Everybody needs an identity. Everybody needs a sense of self. Everybody needs to know who they are and be able to answer that question. So in that regard, our culture is not wrong. They're saying the same thing. They're just starting from a different starting place. Shayla Love, writing for Vice News back in March, she wrote an article entitled, Why Your True Self is an Illusion. And she cites research coming out of the University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school up in Philadelphia. Research done around the world, interviews done around the world by social psychologists, and they have found that 80% of people believe that their true self is morally good. So if I'm getting better and better, I am becoming more and more of my true self. Almost everybody agreed with that statement. But if I'm getting worse and worse, I am losing my true self. Their conclusion is that there is no such thing as a righteous true self at your core. They point out that when we believe that we have a righteous true self at our core, every time we fail, every time we have a moral failing, we enter into a crisis, don't we? And their research points out that people handle this crisis in one of two ways, or maybe both. Number one, when we have a moral failing, we do one of two things. Number one, we make an excuse. Or number two, we try to cover it up by doing something good instead. And they point out that neither of those, now keep in mind, this is coming from PhDs at the University of Pennsylvania, not theologians, not your pastors. They point out that when you have a moral failing and you make excuses or try to cover it up, that is actually not moral. That's not true morality. So we are not becoming better and better people. We're just learning how to cover up how bad we are. The Bible's been saying that same thing for 5,000 years, by the way. That same exact thing. We could have saved a lot of money on that research. <laughs> See, the problem is sin, isn't it? The problem is sin. If I look at you and say, be your true self, I'm asking you to be a true sinner. If I'm looking at my kids and, say, and saying, be authentic, I'm asking them to be an authentic sinner. If I say, follow your heart, follow your dreams, I'm asking them to follow the dreams of a sinner. When we tell people to self-construct an identity, but we don't give them a universal imperative, we don't give them a guide, we don't give them a common denominator, we don't give them an absolute standard, what have we actually done to people? We've given them sinking sand not a solid rock. The world tells us to self-actualize. Any of you that, have, that are in education, I went to school for education, so Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, right? Food and shelter at the bottom. You get up a little bit love, but what's above love? Self-actualization. Self-actualization. Know who you are and make it happen. Decide who you are and make it happen. Self-actualize. But is self-actualization love? Is it loving? We construct identities to cover deep shame, don't we? 
Or when we construct these identities, we, we actually start to believe that that's who we really are. That's who we really are. And in Galatians, Paul calls that one of two things. He calls that law, or if you're a Gentile, you say, well, Paul, I'm not really under the law. I'm a Gentile. Okay. In chapter 4, verse 3, he calls it the elementary principles of the world. Did you catch that phrase when Helen was reading? You are set free. You have been set free from the elementary principles of the world. You see, when I tell you to form your own identity, I'm giving you a standard to live up to that you create, that you self-construct. I will be this. That's the elementary principles of the world at work. That's law at work. That's a standard that's a moving target that you'll never actually achieve. So Paul says back in chapter 2, verse 19, through the law, I died to the law. And again, in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, we are set free. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but then Jesus came, and now we are no longer slaves. We are sons. Look at chapter 2, verse 18 with me. Chapter 2, verse 18 Paul says these words, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Let's break that, that down. For if I rebuild what I tore down, he's talking about the law. He has spent his ministry tearing down the law as righteousness, as our source of identity, as our source of justification. He's been tearing that down, and he's saying, if I build that back up, if I build the law back up, I prove that I am a transgressor. Here's the principle he's giving us. When we place ourselves under these standards like follow your heart, follow your dreams, find your true self, be real, when we place ourselves under those standards, all they can do is reveal that we will fall short of those standards. All the law can do is reveal that you are a transgressor of the law. That's all the law can do. That's the law's job. The law does not make you better. The law cannot make you keep the law. In fact, the law encourages you to break the law sometimes because it, it gets in there and you say, I'm not going to obey that. Or you say, I can do it. I'm the one person here who can keep the law. So pride begins to kick in. The elementary principles of the world say the same thing. It all goes back to the garden, the knowledge of good and evil. I will be like God. Let me eat. I eat. Now I know good and evil for myself. I know what's best for me. I know who I should be. I know what my dreams are. I know what my identity is, and I will achieve it. But all you're going to prove is that you can't achieve it. And now your identity becomes a monster that's destroying you. Is your identity your career? Then it's death by career. You overwork. You lose sight of what's really important. Okay, then my identity will be my family, Brady. Okay, 
And then you're going to become codependent and manipulative because when the family struggles kick in, and they will, you will do everything in your power to control everybody in your family in order to make them fit into this little model that you've created. You will come for Thanksgiving. You will be there, won't you? I worked so hard. Don't break my heart. Okay, Brady, then ministry. Ministry will be in my identity. Well, then it's just death by ministry, isn't it? Because as soon as you get that email, when I start getting the emails tomorrow, right? Why'd you do that? Why'd you say that? Why'd you move that? Why'd you get rid of those? Why this? Why that? Why the other thing? If ministry is my identity, every one of those is a dagger in my torso, isn't it? It's an illusion. It's not rooted in reality. When I say to my child, follow your dream, I'm asking them to follow an illusion. It's not real. It's not real yet, is it? When I, when I say that to myself, see, listen, here's the problem. If my identity is father, husband, um, son, preacher, teacher, pastor, blogger, if those are my identities, what happens when it turns out I'm lousy at them? What happens when it turns out that I'm not actually really good at any of those things? I see someone who's a better husband than me, a better preacher than me, a better writer than me, smarter than me, funnier than me. What, what happens then? And we don't create identities that are rooted in reality, do we? Say, well, my, I, I, Brady, you are a preacher, teacher, father, husband, friend. You are all those things. Yeah, but for how long? I am a, a painter. I am a doctor. I am a good father. Yeah, but for how long? As we've said before, if you live long enough, you lose everything. It's all sinking sand, isn't it? It all leads to self-justifying and blaming and division Identity politics have divided us, haven't they? We just vilify the other side. Yes, there's problems. Yes, there's injustice. Yes, there's oppression. We all agree to that. But the question is, who's to blame? And in, in identity politics, we all say, they are. <laughs> and nobody ever says, nah. <laughs> I'm to blame too. We're all sinners. We're all messed up. The answer is that our identity has to come from outside of us, doesn't it? Our identity has to come from outside of us, starting with our own bodies. We'll do this sermon in a few weeks, but let's just start there. My body speaks truth to me. I am a man. I am a biological man. How do I know that? Because this physical body speaks that to me, irregardless of what I think or feel. Truth comes from outside of my heart, starting with my body, the institutions around me, the church, the family, even the state, they speak truth into us, truth from outside of us, and then obviously, ultimately, God speaks truth into us from outside of us. These things form us. 
How do I deconstruct the true self? I have to know whose I am, not just who I am, but first, whose I am. My identity must be received. My identity must be an imputed identity. In the Bible, there's only two imputed identities. Only two. You are either in Adam or in Christ. That's it. The Bible gives us two identities. We are either in Adam, and as soon as we're born, we are all born in Adam. Adam, our great-great-great-grandfather, represented us in the garden. We were in him so that we identify with him. What he did, you did. This is Romans 5. By one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that all have sinned. He represented humanity, and when he sinned, that sin was applied to you and to me. We are in Adam. But praise God, there is hope. There is another identity in Christ. We can change our identity from in Adam to in Christ. I should say God can change our identity from in Adam to in Christ. And that's the book of Galatians. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so number two, how do I deconstruct my true self? I have to trust that my old self has been crucified with Christ. What does finding myself really look like, biblically speaking? It looks like death. It looks like dying. I have been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. You see, Christian, you have died with Christ. Did you know that? Jesus didn't only die for you, you also died with Jesus. Spiritually, you were in Christ on the cross so that when he died, you died. Just like you were in Adam in the garden so that when he ate the fruit, you ate the fruit. When Christ died on the cross, you died on the cross. Romans 6, don't you know that you died with Christ? <laughs> Romans 6, 6. Therefore, 6.10, consider yourself to have died with Christ and alive to God. You live to God. You died with Christ. Your old identity Christian, I'm talking to Christians now, your old identity is dead. Your old nature, your old self, pick your lingo, your Adamic nature, your Adam nature, it no longer exists. It's dead. Some of you need to have a wake. <laughs> Some of you need to have a funeral. Because you think he's still alive. You think she's still alive. You're like that old Weekend at Bernie's movie where you're driving around with a dead guy in your car, propping him up. You're driving a dead person around. You think every day you've got to kill your old self. I have to die daily. No, you don't. Does Jesus die daily? 
No. <laughs> How many times did Jesus die? Once. How many times did you die to the old nature? Once. One time. It's done. It's finished. It's accomplished. You're new. Praise God. Your job now is to trust that the old man is dead. That's your job. Faith. I live by faith. Be dead to the law and be free from the elementary principles. Because the law can't produce love. Only faith can. See, the more you're searching for your true self, the more selfish you will be. Right? The more you try to keep up in your identities, the more narcissistic you will become. Now, yes, you died with Christ, but you do still have indwelling sin inside of you, don't you? Galatians 5 speaks to this. For freedom, Christ has set us free, verse 1 says. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul's describing a situation whereby a slave could be free and then say, I don't know that I want to be free. I'm going to go back to my slave master. And we would see that and go, that's foolish. Why would anybody do that? But we do it, don't we? We do it a lot. We run back because of the flesh inside of us. But listen, your flesh, your desire to have an identity that makes you important or valuable, you're seeking your self-worth through what you do or what you achieve, it will, that flesh will only succumb to the cross. There's only, one way to, there's only one way to deal with the flesh, the cross of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Your behavior modification will not get rid of the flesh. It'll actually just empower it more. You giving up one addiction for a different addiction, you're not beating the flesh. <laughs> you're just empowering it more. Listen to me. You making greater commitments to God and rededicating your life to Christ, that's the flesh. That's the flesh. Why? Because what are you actually trusting in in those moments? Your dedication. Your commitment. What should you be trusting in? Christ, the cross, His dedication, His commitment. So in 6.14, Paul says, I'm only going to boast in the cross. I'm only going to boast in the cross. Listen, all these other identities, they become idols that steal glory from God. They become boasts. Look at what I've done. Look at the diplomas on my wall. Look at this picture of me and the president. Look at this, this new car I was able to buy. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter boasting in how witty we are and how smart we are and how beautiful we are. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when I stand before God in heaven, I'm not going to stand in front of Him and say, I was a good dad. I'm not going to say, I was a good father. I'm not going to say, I was a good pastor. I preached good sermons. I wrote some smart-sounding stuff. 
I served my church. I lived a good life. I discovered my true self. I followed my dreams. I was authentic. I was a jerk, but I was authentic about it. I'm not going to say any of those things on Judgment Day, am I? On Judgment Day, if I try to say I was a good dad, a good husband, God's going to look at me and shake his head and go, what are you even talking about? Dude, you were terrible. You were terrible. The standard is perfection. How close did you, did you think you got? Uh, it felt good at the time. <laughs> No, my only boast is Christ. Do you see it? All other human identities are set aside for Christ. Lesson three. Lesson three. Trust that your new self has been created to be selfless. How do we deconstruct the quote-unquote true self? By trusting that our new self has been created to be selfless. Back to 220. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Here we go. This is where it gets confusing. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And get, Okay, Paul, are you living or not living? You said, you said two opposite things in the same verse. It is no longer I who live, and then he turns around and says, I live. Are we living or are we dead? What's happening? Yes. The old self is dead. The new self is alive. Praise God. We have a new resurrected identity that emerges from the ashes of our old identities like a phoenix. By grace, there's a new self, a true, the real true self. The Christ self that's inside of us. You see, listen, we're, we're not Hindus. We're, we don't believe that eventually we're going to be reincarnated until eventually we're just absorbed into the world's soul. That's not happening. We retain our identity. In heaven, Brady Walcott will be Brady Walcott. I know some of you are thinking, really? <laughs> I was kind of hoping for, you know, someone better. Trust me, it'll be Brady Walcott merged with Jesus. And, and he'll be a really good guy. Like the Trinity, stay with me, like the Trinity, the Trinity share one essence, don't they? Not like this. The Trinity share one essence. We might even say they share a spirit. God the Father and God the Son, they share a spirit, don't they? The Holy Spirit. And yet they're separate, aren't they? The Father's the Father, the Son's the Son. They're different. They're unique. They have their own identity. That's what's happened to us in Christ. In Christ, we share an essence with Christ. We share a spirit with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Those who are in Christ are one spirit with Him. But yet we're different. We're unique. We're separate. So it's not Christ instead of me. It's Christ in me. It's Christ through me. 
And now I live by faith. Like we sang, to trust Him, simply trust Him, is the greatest gift of all. Faith is trusting your union with Christ and not looking for anything beyond what Christ has already done. I hear so many Christians putting their hope in something that God's going to do or Jesus is going to show up and do in their life. I just know that Jesus is going to show up and do this amazing thing in my life. Ah, do you know what my answer is? He already did. He's given you everything you're ever going to get. You have been blessed in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3. You're not getting any more. You got all the Jesus you're going to get, all the Holy Spirit you're going to get, all the God the Father you're going to get, all the grace you're going to get. If that's not enough for you, we need to back up the truck and start over. We need to trust in our new identities in Christ. Galatians, the passages we read have shown us three, three new identities. Here they are. Identity number one, you are loved. Identity number one, you are loved. I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. What if your identity, your worth, your value this morning was simply in being loved? Could you embrace that? That's hard for us to embrace, isn't it? That God doesn't need anything from me. He just wants to love me. I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself. Do you live each day in faith in what Christ has already done for you? As we preach here at Grace Baptist Church, may it always be that our preaching spends way more time declaring what Christ has already done and a little bit of time saying what we should do about it. If you go to a church, if you're listening to preachers, if you're reading books, and it's mostly what you need to do, get a different book. Read a different book. If it's 80 to 90% what God has already done, read that book. Read that devotional. Okay? Listen to those preachers. Identity number one, you are loved. Identity number two, you are a son. You are a son. Chapter three into chapter four. Chapter four, verses six and seven. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Your new identity that can never be taken from you is that you are a son of God. Male, female, I don't care why it's important that we, we stick with this word son, because in this culture when Paul wrote, the, the 
adopted son of the father became the heir of the father. So for Paul, this isn't belittling to women for Paul to call women sons. It's actually empowering. He's actually saying male, female, doesn't matter. You are all sons of God. You are all heirs of God. You all get access to God. In ancient Rome, in a home, the center of the house would be dad's room. And the corridors and the, and, the, and the rooms outside would be painted. And the paintings on the wall would let you know how far you could move in the house. Some rooms would be painted only for the slaves. And they knew, if I'm in those rooms with those paintings, I can only go in those rooms. But then there was the inner sanctum of the home. And guess who got to go into dad's room anytime? The son. The heir. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That where I am, there you will be also. Welcome home, son. You're a son. You see, what this means is that our, our core identity now is dependent, submissive, child. We are not the king of the universe. We are not the father of, of, our, of our space. We are the child, crying, Abba, Father, crying out, independence. We embrace this identity. Identity number one, we are loved. Identity number two, we are sons. Identity number three, we are the new creation. Chapter 6, verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what counts. What does Paul mean when he calls us the new creation? He means that we are now what we will be. He's applying the future to our present. Every Jew knew that the new creation doesn't come until after we all die and get resurrected and we all pass through judgment day and then God destroys the earth and he recreates it. That's Jewish theology. And we don't get to be called anything like that. We don't get to be labeled as justified, glorified, or new creation unless we survive the judgment day. So for Paul to look at us and say, you are the new creation, what is he saying? He's saying you have already survived the judgment day. The judgment day. Did Christ survive his judgment day? Yes. He rose from the dead, didn't he? Have you survived your judgment day? Yes. What's the result of these three new identities? I'm loved, I'm a son, I'm the new creation. The result is freedom. Freedom to boast only in the cross. You read that verse and you think, wow, that sounds so limiting. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross. Really? I mean, first of all, let's just imagine if the only thing any of us ever boasted in was the cross. Good grief, how would this church be different? How would your social media account look different if you only boasted in the cross? How would society in general be different if we all just only boasted in Jesus and in the cross? We're free. You see, what Paul's saying is, 
When you have nothing to prove and nothing to earn and nothing to find and nothing to achieve and no true self to discover, you're, you're actually free now. The world markets all that as freedom. Find your true self. That's freedom. No, that's bondage. That's bondage. That's sinking sand. If you tell me I don't have to find my true self, if you tell me I'm not actually special, if you tell me, if you tell me I'm just an ordinary average guy, saved by grace, whew, that's a load off. I don't have to be amazing. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room anymore, right? I don't have to out-preach Mark. I, I don't have to do any of that. I'm free. I'm free. And then he says in 15, we're closing with this. This is important because I know what you're saying. You're saying, okay, Brady, if I take all these identities husband, father, pastor, teacher, chemist, Republican, Democrat, American, Christian, if I take all these identities and I put them aside, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? What's there left to do in my life? Here's the answer. Enjoy them. Here's what he says. Verse 14. I boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm crucified to the world. The world is crucified to me. But then a couple letters later, actually probably his next letter, 1 Corinthians, Paul says to them, the whole world is yours. Enjoy it. You see what's happened, Christian? When, when super dad is no longer my identity, being a dad doesn't have to stress me out anymore. I can just see fatherhood as a gift from God and enjoy it, right? When pastor is no longer my core identity, and I, I, I don't have to be the greatest pastor on the planet and solve everybody's problems, and always have all the answers, and always preach a great sermon, when I'm free from that, guess what I can do with being a pastor? I can maybe even enjoy it. Do you see it? Career, family, athletics, music, talents, gifts, ha uh, hobbies, habits, these are all gifts from God that when you are crucified to them, you are now actually opened up to enjoy them because <laughs> they don't have to control you anymore. And you can hold everything with an open hand. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? This is two sermons in a row. I'm going to close with a poem. I've never read a poem in 13 or 14 years. <laughs> Suddenly I'm reading poems every week. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this just a couple months before he was executed by the Nazis in Germany. He wrote these words, Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible woe-begone weakling? 
Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Let's pray. God, whoever I am, and that'll probably change a thousand times between now and the day I die. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. God, would you speak to every heart here this morning that doesn't know Christ? Show them that he is truly the solid rock, that he frees us from chasing all these other identities all these other things that give us value and worth and meaning. And God, for those of us that are in Christ, we confess we still chase those things. We're still drawn back to them. Tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. when we roll out of bed, we are going to start chasing an identity. Jesus, may we take a deep breath and rest in knowing that you are our ultimate identity, and instead of chasing, may we start enjoying Instead of chasing, may we take a rest in the gifts that you've given us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.